Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. That's uh, north of Indianapolis, about uh, 20 minutes. And it's a beautiful day here in Fishers. The temperature's about 35 degrees, and we have six inches of snow on the ground. But it's still a beautiful, beautiful day. And uh, we are going to be talking to our guest today via Skype. And our guest is located in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, to University of Indiana. And our guest today is Lonnie Deshaun, and you're going to find out a, a lot about what she does and the great programs that she directs at Indiana University. Uh, I would first like to thank Apple for sponsoring our podcast. Also wish all the listeners a, a very happy holiday season, and thank you very much for joining us for the show today. Um, we're going to start first with the uh, intro of Lonnie. Lonnie, could you tell the listeners um, where you're at and where, where you're from? Okay, well, I am, thank you, Tom. I'm here on the beautiful Indiana University campus in Bloomington, Indiana, so about an hour and a half south of, uh, of where you are located right now. And I've been in this community for about 30 years. I'm originally from um, northern Indiana. I was born in Angola, Indiana, in Steuben County. I like to tell people that I was born in Angola because it, you know, it makes them, makes them think a little bit. Um, and uh, I, I moved to Indianapolis when I was nine years old and, and grew up and grew up there. So, so um, now do you still have family in Angola? I do. Yeah, my father and I have mm-hmm. my father's there. Uh, my stepmom, I have uh, several cousins and, and so forth in the area up there in Steuben and LaGrange County, Allen County, that area. Mm-hmm. Now, so where did you teach at originally then? You, I know you were at Brown County Schools, right? Right. Uh, yes, I also, before I finished my master's work, I taught um, adult Spanish classes for IUPUI in Indianapolis, but my first official teaching job as a licensed certified teacher was in Brown County Schools. I taught for the high school and the middle school there. And you were there quite a while, right? I believe. Not as, uh, not as long as not I wanted a... to be. I really, really enjoyed it. It's a wonderful uh-huh. community and I, and I loved being there. Uh, I was there for about three years. Okay. So, um, what? Um, so you taught sp- Spanish there mostly, or all Spanish? I did. Yeah, I, I taught. Uh, I taught uh, middle school Spanish and high school Spanish. So mostly the beginning levels, uh, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth grade primarily. Now, can you tell the listeners what um, exactly is your title on your job and what you do at uh, Indiana University? Sure. I'm the Managing Director for the Indiana University Honors Program in Foreign Languages, otherwise known as IUHPFL. (laughs) It's a little bit of a mouthful. What what does the program entail? uh, I know that this involves overseas studies in the summer, correct? For for high school students. I'm sorry, go ahead. For high school students, right? Right, exactly. So we are a language immersion program, a summer language immersion program for Indiana high school students, and we're only open to students who are attending Indiana schools. We've been here on the IU Bloomington campus since 1962, so we're actually 58 years old now. And a lot of uh, people probably don't realize it, but uh, Indiana University has been sending high school students abroad longer than they've been sending university students abroad. Um, So we started out, uh, our program started with three programs, one in Mexico, one in France, and one in Germany. And over the years, we've 
grown and changed quite a bit. This past summer, we had 10 program sites around the world, and our languages are now uh, Chinese, French, Japanese, uh, German, and Spanish. So we have five languages now. So, for example, you're in Mexico, in Merida, right? Yes, we've been in Merida for, I want to say, around maybe nine or ten years now. It's a beautiful and city, isn't it? It's lovely. It is. Oh, it's incredible. And the Mayan culture, the Mayan ruins there, it's, it's absolutely magical. And, and it's a very common destination for U.S. retirees, I found out. Yeah, very friendly people in that Incredibly. zone. Yes. And, I, and a lot of white buildings, right? White building <laughs> houses. Yes. It's very close to the ocean. Yes, yes beautiful place. Color. So, so you're in Merida in Mexico, and where are you in España then? You're you have in what three cities in Spain or four, three? Yes, we're in three cities in Spain. Um, we are in um, León, Oviedo, and Ciudad Real. Okay, and then where are you in France? Two cities there in France? Or? We have three, three cities. sites in wow. France, yes. Um, we are in Saint-Brieuc, which is our only remaining original program site. Um, we are also in Brest, and we're in Saumur. And I know I'm not pronouncing those as well as I should, so for those of you who, who really <laughs> do speak uh, French, please forgive my, my accent. Now, in Germany, where are you at then? We spent actually 50-something years in Germany. Uh, we were in Kleifeld, Germany for 50 years, and before that we were in Trier, so I think we were there for two or three years. Um, at the very, very beginning, back in 1962, we actually started in Trier, Germany. Um, but then uh, we moved our German-speaking program to Austria um, in the summer of 2015. Uh, so we are in Graz, Austria. Okay. And then for uh, Japanese, you're, where are you for that one? We're in Osaka. Osaka, wow. And then uh, the other place is? Um, we're also in Hangzhou, China. And, in China uh, now, yes. that's amazing. Yes. And I wanted to add also, we have a Spanish-speaking site in, in Chile, uh, in Viña del Mar, but unfortunately this next summer we will not uh, have the program there due to the um, very sad uh, civil unrest that they're experiencing yes, uh, that's, in the it's, Santiago and Viña del Mar area. Uh, yeah. So uh, are you then, uh, uh, with, with all of the programs, which do you have a favorite? <laughs> no. I get that question a lot, actually, um, and I really have to say that if I had to choose a favorite location, it would be incredibly hard to do. Um, they all have, they're so unique, uh, the people are wonderful and warm um, at all of our locations, they have their own personalities. I think what did surprise me is that, um, I, I'm embarrassed to say I had never been to Asia, I had just not had an opportunity to visit Asia until I started working with this program, and and I was um, I was surprised by how much I fell in love with it. I, I expected to enjoy it, but I didn't expect to fall head over heels, and I really did. I, I um, have have just um, thoroughly enjoyed uh, my visits to China and Japan. So, um, could you tell the listeners um, what uh, what you do in a normal what what's your normal day like I mean so it, it, I'm sure this it must be rather mind-boggling to be this is a, that's a lot of responsibility that you have I mean that's those are a lot of programs so uh, how do the kids get to go on the programs I guess that's the first thing and what okay. how old are they and sure 
So uh, students can participate after their sophomore, junior, or senior year in high school. Um, and so the, um, as I said a moment ago, they have to be attending a school in the state of Indiana. Um, we also need to see that they have strong grades in their world language classes. We need to see good academic performance overall. Um, for Chinese and Japanese, they have to have completed at least two academic years by the time they board the plane. And for French and German and Spanish, it's three academic years before they're able to participate. And uh, we also look for really strong applications. So that's that's the, 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 the season that we're in right now is uh, we're finishing gathering up all of the application materials from the students. And it's, it's quite extensive. So we rely heavily on appraisals from their teachers. Um, parents also submit a parental assessment. We look at their high school transcript. We look at the essays that they write for us. Um, they have to submit a writing sample in the target language. So there's 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 quite a bit um, involved. And of course, we want to we want it to be obvious. We want to see students who are really enthusiastic about having an amazing right. experience. It's normal for them to be nervous, of course, or even a little bit scared. For some of these students, it's the very first time they've left the country, and so it's understandable that 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 we would see some nervousness. But um, really, we want to see that passion and that that um, that desire to spend five or six weeks in another country. Now, um, most of the so programs are five or six weeks, right? Yes, during the months of June and July. Mm -hmm. So now it used to be, if I recall, the the uh, program, there used to be testing, right? Oral there test or something, yes. oral, oral exam or not an exam, oral interview, whatever, I guess the, an interview. Right. Now yeah. you, you don't do that anymore, right? We do not. We do not. Um, the testing process and the interview process, um, when, when all of that was established, quite understandably, I, I, I fully understand the rationale behind that. Um, the capacity the, the, for the program was very, um, the, there were very few spaces left. The capacity was around maybe 100 to 105 students um, when that was first initiated. So the idea was with hundreds and hundreds of students interested in this program every year, how do you narrow down your application pool? And so the testing process was a way of, of narrowing down um, mm -hmm. the number of applicants, the number of students who are actually able to apply. And, um, and even then it was still a pro pretty daunting task to go through all of those applications. And so the students were interviewed, um, they were tested for their language ability, and again, you know, this was all in an effort to end up with the appropriate number of students uh, to go on the program. So today, our um, reality is quite different. We can take almost up to 400 students, is this, um, and we've, we've expanded. Which is a lot nicer, yes, for the kids. And it, it takes a lot of stress out. And that I, I recall that used to be pretty that daunting sometimes, the interviews, you know, for the, for the students. And, yes. Uh, when I first came on board, we were still doing the interviews, and we were we were testing the language during the interview. Um, it wasn't uncommon to have a student break down and start shaking and crying during the interview. Yes. So this is it's a lot better thing. what you're doing now. That's good. That's that much right. better. Exactly. That's that's wonderful. Now and also, you have a lot more kids participate, right? We we do. Well, I mean, relatively up. speaking, right? We're still not um, at you know at the enrollment that we would like to see. We're still growing, but that's the idea: is that we you know we, we do have room for students. So, what we say is that you know, as long as we see that a student is, is truly ready academically mm -hmm. and personally, we want them to be able to have this. Yes, experience. that's a wonderful experience. That's that's fascinating. So, um, 
when you uh, travel and 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 so your job then is organizing the trips, I guess, right? And then you you have to do all the paper, get the paperwork out and back, and and which is a huge amount of work. And then you have to do the uh, probably I'm I'm guessing too the financial side of it too, right? To is, Sure, and allow me to say, I, if it weren't for our, the very talented staff that I work with here, yes, <laughs> yes, that, yes, it would be impossible for one person yes. to do all of this. So we are a small but mighty staff. We're three full-time people here mm -hmm. in the office, and then we also have part-time um, students here at Indiana University. Uh, they will come in and work part-time in our office, and they're always also alums of our program, so they went through our programs themselves when they were in high school, so that's really fun. So we have two part-time um, uh, people here in the office right now. Now, many of your graduates from this, the summer program, I'm assuming probably correctly, I think, Maybe you can let me know on that. But I would imagine many of those kids go on to major in languages in college, right? When they start taking as language. As far as we know, yes. We're able to track the ones that come to IU. About 30% uh, of the students who go through our programs end up at some Indiana University campus mm -hmm. somewhere in the state. And, and, and then we're able to see that a lot of them, yes, they'll go on. Major, minor, yes. We know here on the IU Bloomington campus that they become the stars of their classroom yes. here at IU. Yes. Um, and we're able to see how many of them go on to do study abroad experiences through Indiana University. Right now it's about 64% of the students who go through our program who come to IU, any campus in the state, 64% will go on to do some right. kind of overseas study experience. Now, and there are others that go to private universities as well. And they, yeah. I'm sure they're the stars as well. And one of the things that uh, stands out to me really a lot is, is the, it's a homestay program, correct? Families. It's a homestay program. It is, yes, and it's complete language immersion. So that's one, yes. a couple of features that really help us to, I think, stand out is we have that very high expectation. That that's awesome that they get that, isn't it? Of the time it's, in the target language. From the time they land in the host country yes. until the time they come home, they're only in their language. And, it, and the beauty of that is, again, five to six weeks of immersion for the mm -hmm. students at a young age, maybe of 17 or 18 years old, and uh, what an effect that has on their life, right? It's just astounding. I don't know if there are many other states, any other states, that have, where the uh, state university has a program for high school students like this. Is there another one? I'm I haven't sure. heard of. Uh, I haven't not heard of one. Well, I think that there might be a college in Massachusetts that offers mm -hmm. some kind of program like this. I don't know if they're private or if they're state funded, but I do know it's it's highly unusual for a university to have a program like this. Yes. Now, so if one of the listeners wanted to find out more about this, they could. How would they get a hold of you about the program itself? You know, the, the, if they. Sure. Sure. So, like, our email address, just to know how to contact us. Okay. Um, our email address is iuhpfl at iu.edu. Okay. Could we do that one more time? Sure. iuhpfl at iu.edu. Okay. Thank you very much. Now, also, anybody out of state listening and you would like to get more information on... Uh, how Lonnie does this and how the program works. I'm sure if you uh, sent her an email, she would be happy to, you know, respond to you. 
and uh, give you some ideas. What a great idea this might be in another state too, right? That, uh, Absolutely. It, I would say to anyone who's working, you know, with, with a university, if you're interested in working through a university, um, if I were you, I would go through the language departments there at your university um, and also the State Department of Education. Um, to help spread awareness and to build relationships with the high schools because really if it weren't for the high school teachers that we work with around the state we wouldn't have a program. Um, we, um, we work with hundreds of teachers around the state of Indiana, um, many who had participated in our programs themselves when they were in high school and they are our largest group of advocates and promoters uh, for the program. Um, I also, when I'm, work, when I'm looking for instructors, I recruit from from that pool of teachers. So our instructors are either Indiana high school teachers of the language or they are graduate students or PhD candidates or lecturers here at Indiana University who specialize in the language. So those are where our, our instructors are coming from. Um, and I was also going to say we, we have on-site coordinators at all of our sites around the world. So we have individuals who live there year-round who are members of those communities. It's also really important to build those relationships. Now, we work sometimes with individuals who act as on-site coordinators, but we also work with provider organizations for some of our sites. So in Asia, we work with CET academic programs. So they're an organization that already provides study abroad experiences, and then they customize our programs for us in Asia. In Latin America, we work with the Institute of, uh, for Study Abroad, um, otherwise known as IPSA, and um, again, they are a provider organization all on their own. Um, they have programs for university students and so forth, but they customize our programs in Chile and Mexico. So when you can work with those kinds of organizations and have a staff on the ground, it's really nice because they add that extra layer of, uh, of security and training and support and so forth. Um, but in any event, it's our either individual onsite coordinators or those provider organizations that are finding the host families for us, vetting the host families, training them, and then during the programs they supervise the host families. So those relationships abroad are really important as well. One of the things that is, it impresses me immensely with the program, all the programs, is the fact that it's such a wonderful promotion of a world language study. You know, this is live in the country, world language study for high school students, immersion with the family, living with the family. And it's a rare thing, I think, in the United States. And uh, But it, what a great promotion of world languages in the state of Indiana. And this goes back a ways because it goes, like you said, 1962 was the, um, I think when it was founded, you said, in 1962. And uh, I can recall in back in the days when I was in the, the classroom teaching in high school, uh, this was the centerpiece of what we did, you know, and it still is. And I know the high schools have great respect for the program, and the yes. teachers do, and they always did. And um, uh, it just was such a motivating thing for the teachers to be able to send students, and, and then the kids would come back, and they would be incredibly proficient after five or six weeks, uh, yes. which people don't realize. You think, oh, five or six weeks isn't very long, but when you yeah. get these top-notch students that go there, and then five or six weeks, they come back, and they're fluent. They're practically totally, some of them are off the chart. Am I right with that? I know. Absolutely. absolutely. I, I've had, I had students that would go on that, and they come back. It was like night and day when they got back. And, uh, and uh, it's just amazing, some of the mm -hmm. things that happen. And, um, and 
else that we've been able to do because our capacity, as I was saying, is so much greater now, something else we've been able to do is that we've really been able to open up our doors to um, students who haven't necessarily had as much exposure hearing and speaking the language before they participate. Um, so we now are very transparent about the fact that students will be divided typically into three groups, emerging, intermediate, or more advanced. So when they're coming into the program, they do still take uh, a test. They take a paper-based language test. Um, when they arrive at the program site, they take it once at the beginning of the program and once at the end of the program so that we can kind of see their progress. But it's, you know, your typical paper-based test that you and I remember very well, reading comprehension, mm -hmm. yes. listening comprehension, grammar, so forth, right? So they take that test. Um, that gives the instructors, you know, a, a, an idea of where their language skills are at the beginning based on other factors as well, of course. Um, and so they, they place them according to those three categories, emerging, intermediate, or advanced. And I hear over and over again from the instructors, obviously all of the students make incredible progress, but it's interesting. They will say that the, that the emerging students, the emerging speakers, are the ones that sometimes make the most amazing progress during the program. They just can't believe how they blossom during those five or six weeks. No, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine. It really is. And uh, I, I have to tell you a quick little story about uh, a student I had. This goes way back. This is in 1972. And so I'm mm -hmm. teaching at Cathedral High School in Indianapolis. And uh, one of my students, we had three students go on the IU Honors Program. One of the students is now on my Facebook. And he's now his name was Bill Early. He's now doc, Dr. Early. And he mm -hmm. became an oncologist. But he used his Spanish. He got back from the program, he was totally motivated and kept taking Spanish as well. I guess he must have had a minor in it maybe. And anyway, he worked in the Southern Florida with a lot of the Latino um, patients that he had and used his Spanish quite often, he told me. And he's still on my Facebook and we still stay in contact. But that's an IU Honors person. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? After all those years, and he's using his Spanish and had a great love for it, and he loved uh, the program. And it, at that time, I think it was in San Luis Potosí, and he loved the, the program. And uh, so I still, t and I run into quite a few people, actually, that in, uh, even at the, the language conferences that are using their Spanish that, that were on the IU Honors Program. So just a magnificent program, and thanks to you for all your great work. I mean, this is what you've done. I, when you got there, you didn't have that many programs, right? I mean, you you had some, but you you've yeah, yeah. it had been built quite a bit. Um, my predecessor um, and and her predecessor. I mean, these well, were, they they know, added some, didn't they? Yeah, ladies who worked very hard to to expand the program over the years. Yes, so. Since I've come on board, uh, we have uh, created a new program. The Osaka program has come about during my, my time here. No, it um, may. And, uh, but, it, but otherwise, the other programs were established. It may be that Bill Early, the, the fellow I was telling you about, the doctor, he, he, may, he actually may listen to this program because I posted on my Facebook as well. Yeah, that they, the people. But uh, um, back to the. Um, um, this idea of um, all the things that you've seen here you know, in the programs and things. What's been, do you have any funny stories you can tell or a funny story that strikes you, something that may have happened? There's, yeah, there's so many funny stories. And I, I was going to say, too, you were talking about, you know, this gentleman, Bill. We, we hear so many um, 
so many testimonials, so many anecdotes from students, and sometimes we'll still get emails and letters from people who went through our program in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s who will send us photos. They're still visiting their host family. Their host family's coming here to visit them. They're, they're still close with this with the people that they went through the program with. Um, in fact, in 2017, in April, I was able to attend the reunion for the 1966 saint of France group. <laughs> they came to the IU Bloomington campus with their spouses, and they had a reunion here and they invited me to come speak and to talk about how the program had changed you know over the years and so forth and it was just wonderful I mean for them yes during that time during that day it was as if they had gone through the program yesterday the day before you know they their memories were so vivid they were telling stories about their instructors they were laughing they brought um, um, albums you know from from back then they brought all kinds of memorabilia and posters and their scrapbooks uh, they brought food, you know, any food a, that they could find. It's amazing. Yeah. Authentically French, you know, they brought that as well. It, it, it was just a wonderful. Well, it's, it it's, really hit home, yeah. home, as you say, how much this powerful the program is. Yeah. For their entire lives, absolutely. Yeah, it's just um, amazing thing, thing. It just has a impact that is, is, is really astounding. It really is. It's just, it's life, it's life changing. Uh, one funny story that I, you asked me for a funny story, um, and I can share with you. There was a student, I had just come on board um, back in the fall of 2014, and um, a student, I was doing high school visits and traveling around the state, giving presentations as I do in the fall. And I was at Carmel High School, which was one of our biggest schools. You know, we, we really have a fantastic relationship with with Carmel High School and a lot of other schools throughout the state, wonderful schools and wonderful teachers. And uh, typically when I'm presenting as often as possible, we have students who've gone through the program up there presenting with me and sharing their stories. And this young man had just come back from one of the French sites and he was telling the audience of students, he was saying, you know, I'm an only child and I really wanted to have host siblings. Um, so I told the program, if possible, I'd like to have a family that has children. And he was placed with a family that had six children between the ages of two and ten. <laughs> and he was telling the students, he said, be careful what you ask for. He loved his little host siblings and he learned so much from them. He said, but there's nothing more humbling than being followed around by little children telling you that you don't speak French very well. <laughs> oh, how about, I, I just thought of another student uh, that, that I had that went on the program. And this was when I was at Ben Davis High School, and her name was uh, Angela Geisler, and she, she now is Angie Fisher. Mm -hmm. And she teaches up in northern Indiana somewhere. Spanish. Okay. She's a Spanish teacher now, and she was on the pro, uh, on your program as well. But the, it's unbelievable, like, the impact of this whole thing. I love and, to live all over yeah. the world. They are in every profession you yes. can almost imagine. Um, they... They're just incredibly, um, they're incredibly effective advocates for the kind of work that we do. Uh, and uh, they really encourage their own children and their grandchildren to participate in our, in our program or a program like this. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a really wonderful thing. The IUHBFL family is pretty, pretty darn big. Yes, it's unbelievable. Now, are you still connected to with the uh, international studies uh, or international... They used to be somewhat involved. I can't remember how that worked. Was it international studies or international? Uh, Sidelli, Mrs. 
Oh, okay, so Kathleen Sedelli is my direct Kathleen. supervisor, and she is the head of um, IU Overseas yes. Study. So again, they're sending the university students abroad, and we're all in the same building. So she also oversees yeah. our program. Wait, for tell, the tell her I said hello. I will do that. Tell her I, I I haven't seen her in a while. I I may have seen her at uh, Russ Salmon's uh, funeral when Russ passed away, and yes. then. Uh, uh, and and I was a, a friend of, of Dan, her husband Dan, right, as yes, well. Dan's one Dan of my favorite Quilter, one of the great there. professors of all time. He and uh, Dr. Salmon, both great professors, yes. uh, unbelievable teachers. Um, yep. So back to the uh, director's job. Now, what's the special challenges of the job? He must be busy. I mean, it's, I, I can't imagine how much, but you, you have two other people, right, helping with the paperwork, but you must be, you have to go out and talk and go out and be on the move a lot, right? Sure, yeah, I, I like that. I think I'm much more of an active person than a desk person, um, but you know, it's it, it's a nice balance when it's this cold outside, it is kind of nice to stay, <laughs> stay at your desk, but... Um, as soon as it's nice outside, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm ready to be up and moving around. Um, but I would say um, special challenges of the program, I think, you know, really just um, spreading, spreading the word. Uh, I think right now uh, families have some concerns about um, the geopolitical environment, uh, you know, especially these are children, mm -hmm. you know, who are participating in our program. So it's understandable. I'm a mom. You're a dad. We get this. Um, parents are sometimes hesitant. You know, will my child be safe in another country right now? And so just assuring them, you know, of what our programs are yes. like, what the communities are like, what the host families are like, letting them know that safety is our number one priority. And which it um, means a lot. Like you said, the safety is the important, most important factor, right, with yes. everything. Um, so which teachers you had, did you have in school? That inspired you the most. I, you, I know you mentioned Dan just a while ago. Dan mm -hmm. Quilter uh, was a great professor. Did you study the Quixote with him? Oh, I, I did, and you know he. Uh, well, he's he a master at that. Grammar, and I was a grammar geek. <laughs> And uh, so he, <laughs> he was a master I teacher. He was for that reason because he was you know I really wanted to know what a a gerund and a participle was and yeah. um and so yeah I, yeah I just have such fond memories well he him. he was my son's favorite professor as well he was uh my son's name was dan as well and uh okay. he was uh dan's favorite professor and uh dan just loved the class and how he motivated him and um and dan uh, quilter as well and, and russ salmon both helped us at the, with the, the IFLTA organization, and every fall they would come up and do a presentation. They would they came up faithfully and they helped out, and uh, it was really appreciated by the high school teachers. And it was such good liaison between the university and high school that it really was, and it was very positive. I I think Israel Herrera Israel. Reminds me of that in a way, you know. He's now the president of IFLTA, and uh, he—I I think he teaches on your program, one of your programs, right? Uh, 
He did for yeah. 13 years, yes. He's now uh-huh. going to be focusing on his other professional endeavors okay. because, as you say, he is so active and so He has involved. a lot he's of just, endeavors. He's a wonderful friend, he, and he's been yes. an incredible support he, he's a, for our program. He's a great promoter of foreign languages, that world language study. He's just astounding. Uh, yes, yes, but, indeed. Uh, um, the, um, so if you uh, were talking about the money for the program. How do the kids get the money for the program? I, I remember there used to be some good scholarships available, and I imagine there still are some. Sure. Um, well, first, you know, one thing that we let families know is that we work really hard to keep our program fees as low as we possibly can. Um, if, if, if people were to do a Google search and look for five and six week study abroad programs for high school students, they'd be seeing program fees around $8,000, $9,000, $10,000 easily. Or more. Or more sometimes, absolutely. Yes. And there are so many wonderful study abroad programs out there. Everyone has to kind of do their research and decide what's best for them. Um, what I like about our program is not only is it much more affordable than that, but also we are providing that continuous network of support for the students. So students are meeting their group before they leave the state of Indiana at orientation in April. We're all here on the IU Bloomington campus together. They get to meet their friends in the program. They meet their instructors. Um, parents and guardians get to find out what is this program all about, what's going to, what's the calendar going to be like, what are the excursions going to be like. They really get to know the nitty-gritty details of what's going to be happening over the summer. We all get to know with one get get to know one another, and then the students are traveling to the host country with their instructors. They're being placed into a community of host families, and then they come back with their instructors. So the entire time, you know, there's a lot of structure, there's a lot of support. If a student is is ill, you know, someone there, the host mom or an instructor is going to and take them medical care. And it's if those little things. Something, someone's yeah. going to be working with them. All these, them. yeah, all yeah. these little things add up to a big thing, you know. Exactly. I mean, the so family things, your your meetings ahead of time, you know, when the kids uh, meet in the spring before they go, all of those things are invaluable. I mean, they're just astounding. You know that most programs don't have, and uh, just all the additional things—it's amazing. Um, yes, I think it's really the very best way to go abroad. Yes, I mean, if yes. I could do it all over again, I didn't study abroad until I was at, at IU. At, at, you know, as a university student, mm-hmm. and if I if I had had this opportunity, it would have been really remarkable. I think yes. it's the very best way to experience study abroad for the for the first time. And to answer your question for this next program cycle this next summer, our program fees will be $5,300 for most of our programs, except for Mexico, which will be $4,700. And that's for how many weeks? I'm sorry? That's for six weeks, five or six weeks, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's an incredible value. It's a great value. Yes. We do offer some um, assistance to families who have high financial need. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do that. Um, Most of our families really, they, they fundraise, you know, they, they have they seek out sponsorships, mm-hmm. so they'll go to their faith communities, or they go to service organizations, or they'll go to, um, you know, family members. You know, go talk to Uncle Phil and see if he can help out. Uh, and the students, you know, they work hard. They work part-time jobs. They babysit. They they walk dogs. You know, these kinds of things. Some of them have online platforms like GoFundMe.com, things like that. And they they raise the money. So most of our students are raising the money themselves. And what's been really remarkable, we've seen on several occasions where students have actually raised more money than what they've needed. There have been students in the past who have returned sponsorship checks to their sponsors 
because they raised more money than what they needed for the program. That's wonderful, wonderful. Now, and the German students are in a really um, great place right now because the Indiana University Germanic Studies Department gives is giving an automatic $1,000 scholarship to each and every one of our grads. Uh, participants this next Ec summer. Excellent. Wow. And then there are additional uh, scholarships out there for for the grads, right. uh, for the German students. Yeah. So, but I encourage any student, regardless of their language, you know, just to get online to see what might be available. Students in Northern Indiana, for example, there's a foundation up there called the Dave Hefner Foundation. Mm -hmm. So students in, I think it's mostly the northeastern quadrant of the state, but students up there um, can take advantage of that organization too, and, and ask for. Um, support and it's I, my understanding is it's any study abroad experience. It, it's not just at the uh, mm -hmm. at the high school level. It's any study abroad experience now, that the foundation gives awards. What what would you say um, about the uh, uh, if you were talking to a student today? Why why do you think they should study a world language today? What oh would, my goodness! Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, why why brush your teeth and comb your hair? Um, it's there's just so many benefits to it it is transformative and I think for me it's really the difference between spending your life traveling as a tourist versus spending your life actually being able to have a doorway into these other cultures you know do do I always want to be a tourist or do I actually want to be able to participate as a member of, a, of another culture and um, you know, I, I tell students when I'm giving presentations, I don't speak, unfortunately, I don't speak Chinese, Japanese, or German. But when I travel to, especially Spanish, my Spanish is very strong. When mm -hmm. I travel to Spanish-speaking countries, I'm actually able to participate. I'm able to understand. Um, and and, and French-speaking you know, societies as well. You know, some I'm not, my French is not as strong. But I, I definitely understand what's going on around me. I understand conversations. I'm able to respond on That's, some level. That's, and it really yes. makes an it's a huge difference. I like that experience. very much what you just said about not being a tourist, but to actually par partake of the culture and right. interact really with the people. Friendships, yes. To really have an understanding. There's so much yes. out of people that is communicated through their language and through their vocabulary, um, through their culture. And in order to really be able to understand them, you, you have to know the language. The language is the door to that. So what... What are your thoughts on world language teaching, the good and the bad? What's What are the, the, the tough, what are the bad the habits maybe that go on in world language classes that could be improved, do you think? You know, on the, sure. Yeah. I think, you know, as a, as a former Spanish ed educator, um, I know I understand that temptation to spend a lot of your time in English because it is difficult. Students are going to... Um, they're going to bulk against that a little bit. You know, they don't want to be forced to speak the language um, in that setting, and I understand that. But I think one of the challenges and one of the rewards of being an educator in a, in a world language is to really push your students to challenge them to step up. You know, to always be raising the bar for them because if you stay in the language in the classroom and you use props and you use gestures and you use minimal English, you know, find those creative ways of conveying meaning without breaking into English, you, you'll be amazed at how far yes. they're going to come, how they are going to no. understanding. No. And that's when it's really transformative. That's when I think the language classroom becomes something magical and something Yes, fun. it does. And, and it's no that's well said, well, well said, beautiful. Now, the other thing that's interesting that you brought up here is 
the immersion factor. And today, the immersion factor, it's called the, the CI, right? The comprehensible input. Yes. Now, I, which I find somewhat interesting that people think that this is something really new, some of the people. And we were doing this, and I bet you were too, years back here. We were all doing, you know, we didn't call it that. I think, although it was called that in the 90s, it actually was called that. Uh, there was a book out called DMA. Do you remember that book, DMA? I do remember that. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to have Edra Stafiri as one of my teachers mm -hmm. at North Central High School. Oh, Edra, one of the great teachers of all time. And also Richard Gould. Oh, right? both great teachers. I, yes. I was fortunate enough to have these two individuals as mentors and as teachers, and they really, both of them inspired me so much to want to go into education myself. Um, and and I remember so clearly, we would walk into their classroom, you know, and, and you spent the first 20 minutes in conversation. They would speak, they would just ask us questions. Oh, they she was... language. Yeah, and, and that was part of the game in those days. Absolutely. And everybody did it. You just, it was like you have to do 95% at least in, in the classroom and in, in the language. And uh, so today it's called a different thing, but I think many people, you know, years back were doing that, you know, in a different way, but a little bit, but, but certainly the same type thing. Um, so uh, what about the, uh, so a lot of oral work, you think, skits and interaction and using the language in class, uh, what could be improved, do you think? Do you think there's areas for improvement or do, do you feel like teachers pretty much are really on the mark? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I get, again, I, and I know you too, I, I am able to, to meet and to collaborate with so many amazing educators around the state of Indiana. And there and are really some great teachers, um, yes. Many of their classrooms and see the yes. work they do. They're incredibly talented. Yes. Um, so I, 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 I don't feel really qualified to comment on the pedagogy, but um, I, I think what I'd really like to see is just more emphasis from the state level and the national level. I'd like to see teachers in general and world language teachers really be recognized as professionals for the professionals that they are. Yes. Um, teachers are highly educated, highly yes. trained. Um, there's so much that, as you and I know, there's so much education that goes into being able to be a teacher. Yes. And huge. then to not be, sometimes not be trusted, right? Right, right. To make those decisions, to do that work, to be compensated appropriately. Um, I think that that is something that really needs to change. And from, this is just a personal opinion, but I think smaller class size. Would help a lot, yes. Important. Teachers are overwhelmed. I think and that's probably the number one thing. Look at, we all have these challenges right i mean our kiddos these days have some real challenges they need more one-on-one -on -one attention yes and individualized instruction in school i think that that would help and it would also be preventative you know some of these children who start to feel overwhelmed and feel they have anxiety right. they have depression and so forth if they had more individualized attention in school it would be so beneficial on so many levels so i just think you know R-E-S-P-E-C-T, our teachers deserve a lot more respect. Yes, than they get, they're good. I, I totally yeah, agree, yeah. yes. Um, so um, I, I do want I was going to mention to the listeners, too, one of the directors, Jacqueline Downer, she was there a long time, right? Director, how long was she there? She was. Oh, goodness. You know, I don't, I don't have those years in front of me, but I want to say... 
I know, I think she became director maybe late 80s, sometimes during, sometime during the 90s. Yeah, she was there a while. And then she gra- was in 2009. And Grafton, yeah. Grafton Trout was there a while. She worked with Grafton Trout, and then when he retired, she stepped up as director. Now, did he pass away? I think he did. I think he did so. a couple of years ago, yes. Yeah, and, and he and his wife have left. Uh, they've started an endowment for for scholarships for our program, yes. And then I, I, uh, Jacqueline is still still here, right? She's still She uh, is, yes. As a matter of fact, I've emailed with her recently. Well, tell her I said hello. I'll do that. I'll do that. Uh, yeah, wonderful lady. Yes, yeah, incredible energy. Great energy, and you know the program's been very blessed to have people like Jacqueline and yourself, and yes, and, and my uh, predecessor Stephanie Gads was absolutely and amazing. Stephanie, and yes, yes, Stephanie. another great person, and uh, and uh, just a really good group of people. And uh, over the years, it has it been it, it it's one of the great programs in the world. I don't even know in the world, do they have any high school programs like this in any other countries? I, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know if, it's, if there's anything exactly like what we do. I will say that, you know, you, you, if you again, if you do a Google search, you mm-hmm. see all kinds of um, high school study abroad programs yeah. out there, you know, but the, the, some of them are nonprofit organizations or they're, um, but so, know, they're for-profit. Yeah, many of them are for-profit, so yes, perfect. I think. And really, again, really wonderful. It right. just depends on what you're looking for, right. if you know what I'm right. saying. If you want a more independent experience um, and, and so forth, you know, but our, our program is pretty specific in what we do. Another facet of, of, our, of IUHPFL is that we offer community engagement experiences for our students. So regardless of where a student goes, they're going to do some kind of activity that's going to help them encourage them to interact with the local community. So it might be folk dancing, it might be playing a soccer game with local youth, right. it might be going to a retirement community and singing songs for the residents who live there or having conversations with them. It might be visiting a homeless shelter. Um, it might be going to an animal shelter and walking the dogs. Um, there's just all different kinds of things that are beautiful. Yeah. are engaged in while they're abroad. And it really gives them that insight into this is what this community is like. This is what it would be like to live here. We want them to to know that they're they're not just visitors, right? We want them to know yes. that they are members of those well, communities. And our students will come back and say they know they have a home in another country. They know they have a family right. in another country. They really have a home away from home. And I think that that is something that we do a very, very good job. Of Beautiful. You got you do an incredible job. And uh, Lonnie, I would like to thank you very much for being on the show. You've been wonderful, a wonderful guest. And also congratulate you for all your great work you're doing at the, in the IU Honors Program for high school mm-hmm. students and your staff and, uh, uh, and uh, everybody that's involved down there that uh, um, uh, just great, great work that you guys do. And uh, we really appreciate it in the in the language field. Everybody talks about the program, and and it's just you know very very well uh, received by everybody, and always has been, and now even more so with all of your programs that have expanded to include a lot more languages, which is something that we really needed in Indiana, and especially the inclusion of Japanese and Chinese. Wonderful. And uh, just beautiful work. And uh, thank you again for being on the show. And I wish you a very happy holiday season and all the listeners as well. Uh, Feliz Navidad, felices fiestas y, y todo las cositas. And, uh, and Lonnie's going to say something in French here for me. <laughs> is it jo- jo- what is it? Joel? 
Noel, Noel. Mi español es mucho mejor que el Bueno, necesita mucho trabajo. Sí, me da igual. Es que me. Bueno, me da problemas a veces, ¿eh? El francés, pero me encanta, ¿eh? El francés, pero bueno, es difícil, ¿eh? Es un idioma muy, muy, muy lindo, pero sí, el español es mucho bellísimo, más bellísimo, ¿eh? Idioma bellísimo. Ok, listen, have a great day and a great holiday season, and, uh, and I'll probably see you sometime in the Foreign World Language Trail as we go along. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.